The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere in between, and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show and give a pleasing performance all the time. And on the stage of life, sometimes it's filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Sometimes, not all of our stories are all glamour. I am Philip Clark, and I want you to join me today as we unearth the many roles of actors, teachers, singers, artists, lawyers. Writers and much more, as they share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. So let's get straight into it. Uh, normally, Amina, I start with an introduction with a lesson that I learned from theater. So. So, so, so let me, first of all, let me just go back. Uh, first of all, guys, let me apologize again for the late start. We had some technical issues, but the technical issues have been ironed out. And here we have tonight my fabulous friend, my fabulous guest <laughs> online. So I'm so excited to get into the conversation. But I want to share with you before I start a lesson that I learned from theater. And I have always asked myself the question: Why do we bow when? Why do we bow after a performance? What is the significance of bowing after we perform for an audience? And uh, I, I understand and I learned that bowing is a sign of gratitude. You know, it's a sign of respect, and uh, it's a sign of thanking the audience for being so gracious, for being so kind, and for coming out to watch us perform. And I said to myself, bowing after you perform, after you have done so well, after you have expended your talent on stage, is such an honorable uh, behavior. And I try to look, in, look at life to see how does this relate to our own lives? Because I always take lessons from theater into my own life. And I wondered to myself, in Jamaica, we say, when you're dead, you bow out, you know? And I said to myself, when I bow out, you know, when I die, is it going to be graceful? And is, are you going to applaud? Are you going to be thankful when I pass on? And, it's, and I get to reflect on myself to say, what kind of life, what kind of performance did you have while, while you lived? What was that performance like? Was it noteworthy? Was it something that people are going to applaud and be happy about when you go? So it's just a question, it's just a thought that I ask you all to bear in mind. When I leave the stage of life, how will I be remembered? Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I have with me my good friend and uh, colleague and uh, mother and uh, elder and uh, inspirer and uh, mentor. But Amina, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for accepting my request. Thank you, you for being so thank you for being so patient. 
as I came into this kind of technology. Yeah, man, I have to be patient with you, you know, because guess what? You are royalty, my friend. You are royalty. You are one of the national treasures. And so I have to be. Whatever it is I need to do, I have to be patient with you. But I mean, we have one little introduction for you. May can I go on and do it? Yeah, let me hear it. <laughs> yes, I'd like to hear <laughs> I'd like to hear it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my guest this evening is a woman who I am proud to associate with because I now know she is the inductee of the Caribbean Hall of Fame. I have to say that first because no one to the know say you're in the company of a celebrity or in Jamaica we say celebrity. Okay? Yes. We're in the austere. <laughs> we're in the austere company of a celebrity. She's an award-winning actress, writer, and storyteller. Founder and artist, artistic director of Entukuma, the storytelling foundation of Jamaica and founding director of Anansi Soundsplash, which I think we're going to hear about in a little while as well. I was very, very proud to have witnessed and to be on a part of one of the most powerful and instrumental petitions that she successfully completed to the Governor General for the proclamation of Jamaica Day and National Storytelling day. I see the lady here as she do it. You hear someone wanting to know say when we say she's a national <laughs> treasure, this is the lady we're talking about. She was the one who was able to secure Jamaica Day and National Storytelling Day in Jamaica. She currently serves as the college orator of the Edna Manley College of the Visual and Performing Arts. I would like to describe her, however, as a national treasure, a mentor for all seasons, a beautiful soul, and realer than R, you can't find. <laughs> I am indebted to you, my dear. I am indebted to you. Dr. Amina Blackwood Meeks, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest. To lights camera real life thank you awesome. so much philip thanks everybody good night good night this is this is my first time doing the instagram thing so yes. i'm enjoying the rap <laughs> so amina mm -hmm. we're gonna get straight into it so amina we're gonna come off of the stage and we're right. gonna go down at the riverside and right. we are going to take off with shoes and we are going to labrish. How we, how we sound? Sound like we're going to get three stone and set up a stove and look some yes. firewood and put yes. on the pot and put yes. a couple of janga in there and go and yes. make janga soup. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I want to start with your early beginnings. Amina, your father was a revivalist, correct? 
Yes. I want to know what was the relationship like with your father? How would you describe it? And I'm sure that that man had so many significant influences in your life. Tell us about it. If I start at the end, I start with the late Charles Hyatt, with whom I had many, many conversations. And uh, I was very close to both my parents, but I had a gift for saying, my mother said, my mother said. And one day in the middle of saying, my mother said, Charles Hyatt stopped me and said, your father did dumb. He never said nothing yet. <laughs> and I realized I had taken all the things my father said for granted. The fact that I love so much is my father. When I, when I turned 40, I said to my father, what was I like as a child? And I will tell you my father's response. My father said, when I was little, I was very sickly. I, mm -hmm. I could have been voted most likely to get sick. And he said he came home one night when I was still a baby, and neither myself nor my mother was there because I had gotten ill and my mother took me to the doctor, to the hospital, KPH. Mm -hmm. And so he came to get us, and at about 2 o'clock in the morning, we were... I was discharged. And so he took me from my mother and went out to the gate, go stand up. And while he was standing there, a taxi man pulled up and said, you want a taxi? And my father laughed and said, yeah, but I don't have any money. And the taxi man said, come. So he went and he got my mother. And the three of us got into the taxi. The taxi took us home. And he said when he got out of the car, he put his hand in through the window to shake the taxi man's hand. And there was something rough in his hand. And the taxi driver curled his, curled my father's finger over this rough thing and drove off. And my father said when he opened his hand, he saw five pounds, a five pound note. That must have been like a five thousand pound note now. Mm -hmm. And my father said, in that moment, I knew you would never want anything. And that was my father's answer to what was I like as a child. Oh. And that was profound. Very. It taught me that everything that we need, we have. We right. just don't. So my father never worried about me. So that was the second thing about my father. The third thing that I recall now about my father is that he liked to watch me dress up. He would sit really? on the veranda when I was walking to go out. And when I got to the gate, he would always say, you look like a queen. Ah. And then, yeah. And then sometimes when I'm being dramatic, I say, I've never heard my father tell us good night or good morning. And that's true. If you say to my father, and we call both our parents by their first names, morning, Mr. Johnny, his response would always be, God bless you, my daughter. 
And if you say good afternoon, Mr. Johnny, you get the same answer. Good night, Mr. Johnny, you get the same answer. My father was always blessing us, blessing us. And so I took that for granted. And then I also took for granted what revivalism meant. I didn't know. When you grow up with something, a thing said, that is how it is all the time. So when my father come to my little cousin funeral, I was about 12 at the time or 11, and pick up a bottle and run to the gate and come back and say, there was a spirit there who was not supposed to be there. And him catch okay. him and buckle him. That to me made a lot of sense. Made a lot of sense. Until I went to Snandra High School. All right, hold on. Stop writing something. Stop writing something. Hey! Yes! Ladies and gentlemen, my friend them by Instagram. We're talking to Dr. We Amina Blackwood Meeks, storyteller par Oxal Exa. Seeing me, I almost make a malapropism inside us. Well, these things that. didn't make sense, Philip. It didn't make yeah. sense. But my father loved us profoundly without, I don't know if he ever said, I love you. But like, for example, on one of my birthdays, my father sat down and typed out Psalm 91 and um, put it in, what you call the thing again, the plastic casing? Laminated. Laminated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was right. my birthday present from my father. He, he mm. would watch us doing well and he would quote the Psalms and he would say, some Psalms say, a good man's seed shall flourish in the land. Now these days, me and my sister laugh because we weren't flourishing because we did anything, you know. But because Mr. Johnny was a good man. <laughs> but he loved us like that. Yeah. Yes. And I remember once we had a concert at school. Now there was a kind of convention that when we have an activity right after school, you wear your uniform to school, but you could bring something to change um, for the activity. And right. my mother used to dress us up. And she got me this new dress to wear to this activity. Would you believe I forgot the dress on the bed? But I would happily have gone in my uniform. No, sir. My father got inside and see the dress on the bed and decide that nobody at school going to look prettier than me. This is when you're at Yes. Because my mother got the dress and my father didn't have a car. So my father begged a ride and brought this dress to school so that I could dress up like everybody else. So we had that kind of a relationship. Like how the sun is shining, you know, so the sun is shine. You just know, so the sun is shine. That I knew yeah. his, uh, that he, I knew he was my father and that he loved me, and I he knew I was his daughter and that I loved him, and that was it. That's a beautiful that story. Because that's a beautiful story because you know so many daughters, so many women, you know, would you know, do anything to have a great relationship with their dads because I sometimes you hear the saying that you know a lot of women uh, view men through their father, you know, they, 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 they have an idea of what men are supposed to be.
to them and how to treat them through their father. But let me ask you something now. I want to go into St. Andrew. Now, this yes. transition, you, your, your father is from, uh, a revivalist from, what was that? I was from Manchester, from... Um, yes, yes, yes. He came from Manchester. Manchester. And your, your mother is from um, Tavern, right? Yes, up there so, up, up, up there so. <laughs> right. Up so, at St. Andrew. So, so, at Saint so Andrew. You're, not, you're not born in any kind of middle-class family. The Absolutely the, the, ex the experience at St. Andrew, what was that like for you? I have no idea <laughs> because I was so, I have no idea. Really, I was so centered in myself that um, when, when there was a girl at school, I don't know where in the world she is, Tessa Campbell, Tessa Campbell was a very white middle-class Jamaican. And she said to me one day, you have a damn the crowd attitude. But I wasn't having that attitude. That was just me. Take me or leave me. That was just me. Um, and then many years later, after I had left school, my friend Stuart Daly, who went to St. George's School, St. George's College, and who is now in the rank of the ancestors, said to me one evening, I mean, how you survive at St. Andrew High School? And I said, what you mean? He said, you know where you was. <laughs> now I look back and I know where I was because you probably know that the first set of principals, headmistresses for St. Andrew High School came from Scotland and Wales. Right. And I got the last of them, Miss Mary Dawson. And after Miss Mary Dawson was Faye Saunders, who was mm -hmm. president of the JTA and had come to us from St. Hughes. So I got the transition. And I went to a school where very often Mrs. Saunders would begin her morning devotion, General Assembly, by saying, St. Andrew High School is a high school for young ladies. And if you are not one when you walk through this door, by God, when you're leaving. But it, she just attacked. It didn't mean anything to me at that time. Yeah. Um, we also had literature teachers who would hand out lists of books for us to read. The books weren't on the reading list that we were going to be tested on. But ladies learned to read these things. So books by James Joyce and uh, Moby Dick. And those right. lists, you know, lists, like 20 books every term. I may mean, I say, how are that? Them books, they don't have nothing. <laughs> Them books, they don't have nothing to do with me. Of course, now they do, you know. Um, you can't live in the world of storytelling and you are not related to um, stories, mythology so, from so, around so the these, world. So, so, so these, these texts actually help to f make you... But me never read them. This is the point I'm making. I didn't read them. I didn't read mm -hmm. them until long after I've left school and I'm saying, my goodness... This book was on the list, Mrs. Curtin, hand out and say, we must just go read. 
And so I'm still catching up. The interesting thing is that every so often I go through my library. Um, I have a nice little library. I go through my library and I look at books. And mm -hmm. at school, we had a prize for citizenship. So if you're helpful, if you're in leadership position, if the younger ones can count on you, all of these things that make you a good citizen of the school. And you can't yeah. get a citizenship prize until you reach fifth form. So fifth form, lower six and upper six, you can get one. I got one every year. But one of the most precious ones is a book called Mother is Gold. It's a book about female writers and storytellers in Africa. And I look back at this book now in 2020, and I'm saying in 19 that how long, what these, these teachers see in me, which yes. I didn't even see myself. So when I say I don't know where I was, that's what I mean. Um, I know that I went to a, a, a prestigious school because when I was going to write my common entrance, in those days, it was common entrance exam people. And you take two schools, only two, your first and second choice. I only knew Woolmers and St. Hughes. Why? Because every Saturday morning, my mother sent us to the library. And we passed um, those two schools, two crossroads, off the number 15 bus to get to the library. So I took those two schools. And my Form 5 um, teacher, Mrs. Walcott, um, just crossed it off. She said, no, you are going to the best school. And she crossed off Wilmers, sorry to my Wilmers friends, and she crossed off St. Jude's, sorry to my St. Jude's friends, and she took one school. St. Andrew High School. And I, I, I know that Mrs. Walcott, St. Andrew, Mrs. Walcott loved us. She adored every single one. We were the first set of common entrance students because the school was just built. And so we were the first set and she loved us all. And she's sending us all off to the best school. So I knew that I had gone to the best school, but I had also been raised to accept and expect nothing but the best. So when I'm in a class with Barbara Walker, whose father is Herbert Walker, the governor of the Bank of Jamaica, when Susan Fletcher is in my class and her father is our ambassador to New York, it now occurred to me say, as something special, you know. When Hope Williams, Rani Williams' daughter, is my prefect. I'm in second form and Hope is my prefect. And Maxine Henry Wilson is my head girl. And, and after Maxine Henry Wilson, it's Elaine Wint, who is my... Mm. I don't know what that means. I just people. <laughs> so when I say I didn't know where I was, I didn't know because I, I had not learned class distinctions yeah. and differentiations no. and discrimination. No. And all Absolutely. my teachers treated me well because they saw what I was not able to see in myself. Now I Absolutely. look back and I know where I was. Tell me something. Miss um, Lou always talked about in her interviews how she came to start writing. 
uh, Jamaican language, the way how we speak it. And she would listen to her mother and people in the market and so on and so on. What are, what are the things that influenced you to recognize within yourself, you know, at least no one, you know, tell story, get into Never thought of it. I never thought of it. I never thought of it. There are few things that have become me, which I sat down and consciously say, this is what I want to do. And I keep threatening to write a book called I Was Raised by Angels. The only thing I knew I wanted to do was teach. And every summer I became a teacher. For in summertime you have plenty mango. And once you have enough mango, you have enough mango seed. And I collected the mango seeds and I dried them. And I put on face, I draw a face from the mango seed. And I collect buckle. And when I have enough buckle to match the mango seed, I slip the mango seed down the bottom. And I put one on a buckle. And when I have plenty, I have a class. And when anybody don't, I beat him. And if the buckle broke, that one get expelled. <laughs> and I find a new buckle. And I get a new, and I get a new child in the school. So, so every summer me I keep school from a little bit, like about seven, you know. So I always wanted to be a teacher, perhaps because my godfather was a teacher. Mr. George of blessed memory before I could walk. My godfather was also a maker of clothes. So I make man clothes, woman clothes, boy clothes, and girl clothes. And it's not now I'm a, I'm a clothes horse. You know, Mr. George used to dress me up every yes. weekend. Mr. George mm -hmm. make two, three, four, not one, spoil me, all four frock. And he, his school was across, you know, veranda school, private school, that now yes. turned basic school or early childhood institution. My godfather right. had one of those. And he would come across the road every Monday morning and bring me new dress and dress me up before I could walk. And I would sit on his desk while he taught. That's how little I was. So yeah. maybe because of, yeah. So w when I say to people, nobody taught me how to read, they say, what you mean? I sat on my godfather's desk and just learned to read. Just follow. So, so even today, when I have to write something proper, and I, I know it is correct, but I can't find the, 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 the English rule, I will call my friend Dorothy. Well, I said, Dorothy. What is the rule for this? Because it's right, but I don't know the rule. Because right. that's how I learned to speak English, listening to my godfather. Nobody not teach me no rule about his, her, where, what, how, known and verba much. Me and my, my godfather talk. So I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. But after that, and he was an angel. And after that, I really was raised by angels. When Mrs. Walcott said, you are going to this school, I was raised by angel. When I was writing my, my GCE A-levels at the time, me never know say something near my teacher scholarship, but a teacher said, you must apply for this. And I applied. 
and I got the teacher scholarship. So I went to UWE on a teacher scholarship. Um, when I left, there was a gentleman at, at um, API, which is now GIS, Easton Lee, head of radio, and he needed somebody. The, the National Heritage Week was being proclaimed, and he wanted somebody to write. And Corina Meeks, my mother-in-law at the time, said to Easton, I mean, I can write. And Easton called me, so I met him on the phone, and he said, Heritage Week is being launched, and I need a program to write about Marcus Garvey. He said, me, sir, me never write for radio yet. He said, if you can write, you can write for radio. And he needed one program. I wrote five. Ooh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I didn't know that then. He used all five. He used all five programs. The first time I write a radio program, I write five. And Easton Lee wrote all, used all five. So I was raised by angels. When I went to work at CARICOM, I never said I'm going to work at CARICOM. There was a scientist. He's dead now, Dr. Gordon. Why him first name just slipped me? I don't know. But I used to help him run his seminars. And one day he said to me, why you don't go work for CARICOM? I said, I don't know. I'm in the plan to leave Jamaica. He said, write your resume now. And I wrote my resume in my handwriting. And Ambassador Byron Blake, who is now back in Jamaica, was at the time one of the leaders of CARICOM. He said to me, give it to me. Byron Blake is here and I will give it to him. Me forget about it. Months pass. Next thing we know, I get telegram say, come for an interview. Me go for the interview. Me go for work as a conference officer. Two months after me reached there, my boss called me and said, I mean, I look at this job description. I mean, look on it. I mean, mark it up. I mean, mark it up. And it was a job description for a public affairs and protocol officer. Him say, yeah. after I done mark up and we agree, he says, that's your new job description. You're lost as a conference officer. I was raised by angels. So, so, you did, so, you, so you're a writer. You, you, you're a writer. You learn to identify and discover your writing skills. You were in CARICOM, in public affairs. How did you become now an actor in the theater world? Where did that come from? Oh, I was always acting. My parents were great community organizers in Whitfield Town. And every time they organized something, them have five children, and we are the concert. And them teach us songs and dance and poetry, and the whole community come and watch Mr. Johnny and Mr. Pickney, Mr. and Miss Perfect, them perform. So I was always performing. And then I went to Sunday school, and we get Sorry, Sunday school things to do. How many siblings you have? I, I, I have two sisters and I have two brothers. Although one of my brothers is no longer on this plane, I talk to him every day. So I still say I have two brothers. Yes. Okay. Um, and so, so we went to Sunday school, a Sunday school that at a church established by the great Fitzhenleys who brought shorthand to Jamaica. Yes, mm. and so them have Mr. Fitzhenley, Mr. Witter, and Mr. Walters had three little beanie car. You see, anytime you perform well at a Sunday school concert, 
them pack yeah. up all our way in the little car and we go and discover some place in Jamaica. And them wife cook rice and peas and make sandwich. And that was the reward. So I was always performing. When I went to St. Andrew High School, I joined the drama club. And to hold an office, I think you have to be in fourth form in the clubs. And by the time I could hold an office, I was the drama club president. And then we entered school's drama festival and so on. By the time I got to UWE, I was the vice president and then the president of the UWE Drama Society. You want to know who was my vice president? Teddy Price. <laughs> when I was president, he was... Yes, indeed. So I was so always... So let me ask you, uh, you clearly have played so many different roles and we're not going to explore all of them yet, but how did theatre actually bring you home to who you really are? I, I can't answer that. If I, in, any answer I give will be dishonest because whereas I can say this play, that play, that play, I really truly believe that each of us, you know, Anansi used to name his children. And one day Anansi was about to name a newborn and the child spoke and the child said, I have brought my name. And in the African cosmology, your name is your gift. And I really believe that each of us comes with a gift. And we just need to be silent and come out of the wheel so that the gift can reveal itself. So at some point in time, I learned to come out of the way so that my gift could take over. Now okay. having given this the wisdom. That's, that's the challenge that we have. How does one come out of one's way? We need to be conscious of the way in which colonial society tells you what to become. Paul Keynes Douglas says that um, nobody no value storytelling because it don't end with her, doctor, lawyer, other her. <laughs> And so we learned that we must wear high heel shoes and stocking and jacket yes, and tie. No. Yes. It's uncomfortable when you step away because there was a time when I didn't want to be called a storyteller. My parents worked hard to send me to high school so I could get into university. Go study political science. So who are going to tell me say he's a storyteller? Now don't see head people do that. And, and whereas I might not have thought of it like that, because I always valued storytelling, but I wanted to be a political scientist, you know? And then I have to learn to step out of the way of that. I know people think that we can only tell story, we can do nothing else. And they don't realize that to be able to tell a story, you have to be a philosopher, a political scientist, a sociologist, a, an advocate for justice. Otherwise, what are you going to tell a story about? So I've learned, and along the way, again, many people have assisted me to recognize that I am a storyteller 
Barry Shevans looked at me one day and he said, you're a fabulous storyteller. Me bex, me bex, me bex, me bex, me bex, so till the cows. <laughs> me so proud of my university degree. And you, doctor at the time, Dr. Barry Shevans, I come talk about say, I'm a fabulous storyteller, me bex. I'm gone. I lived in Antigua where I came to meet Jamaica Kincaid. And sometimes I think that we could even call each other friends because we remain in communication. She lived outside of Antigua, of course, and I, I was keeping a journal. And before I started to call my journal, Miss Lady, I would write, Dear Miss Kincaid. And one day she said to me, Why are you writing me these things? Why you don't perform them? And so a lot of my original contemporary stories begun as entries in my journal written to Dear Miss Kincaid. And then once, um, after several times, uh, Professor Rupert Lewis uh, listened to me tell stories and he said, Amina, you realize you're doing reparation work? And then I got out of the way to think about that. And to say, yeah, that's really what it is. So I didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to get out of the way. <laughs> I blocked myself plenty of times. And many you, of these dangers. You, you recognize who you were becoming and what your purpose was. And so right. you just in line. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you talk about storyteller or storytelling in Jamaica, when I'm on say, boy, I'm going to tell him a story. It, it, it sounds like I'm going to tell a lie, I'm going to concoct something. How do you respond to when people say, you're a storyteller, you tell a story, what is the difference and how do you correct the image that people have about telling story? You know, in, in, in Jamaica, you have the Anansi theme a lot. But... You just said a while ago a very, very powerful thing. You're, talk, you're, you're talking about reparations. You are actually getting people to discover themselves all over again. That's a powerful, powerful uh, person and medium. And uh, how do you now dispel the notion that she can't, she can't, she, she can't tell all she wants because I don't see a story she had tell, thinking that it's not. Uh, it's not plausible, it's not legitimate. How do you respond to All that? right. Okay, I have an immediate anecdote, but let me say this first. You made a distinction, and I do it in one of my stories. There are people who are storytellers, and there are people who tell story. And Aye. the ones who tell story feel the wrath of their granny hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's the distinction. All right. In some cultures, the same word that means story means history. So l'histoire in, in, in French is both story and history. They make no distinction. It's one and the same thing. Um, in Spanish, it's a cuenta. It's an account of something. You're giving an account. 
So there are cultures that. Ladies and gentlemen, we do apologize for that sudden break in transmission when Dr. Amina Blackwood Meeks will return to us in a part two program right now. Please continue listening. Okay, uh, wonderful. I'm not going to move a muscle except I'm skanking. All right. <laughs> good night. Good night, one and all. Good night, Dr. Amina Blackwood Meeks is my guest tonight, and she is live in the house. Show her some love, you all. Show her some love. Okay. I want to congratulate her because she's is her second time on this medium. Her first time was yes. with me. I feel good that my her fur very first time I was the one who introduced her to it. So me can talk semi grong in a history and me make Amina come on Instagram. Okay? I'm the second time as well. You go down in history and the twice. Second time. So I'm going in a history twice. So don't twice. play with me, okay? That part oh, no. of history is reserved for me. Yes, yes. So, Amina, I was just recapping uh, last week's show and how you left with us several, several, several nuggets, several lessons. But I want to just point out four that you shared with us. One of them was everything we need, we have. When you said that statement, it was so profound to me. And it came out, it came out and I felt it deep because we talk so much about what we don't have but when you explained your story and where you're coming from and then you spoke about a good man's seed a good man's seed flourishes in the land i mean you spoke about your father and your relationship father right and that that came through very very clearly because when I thought about you, I thought about me and my father too. And my father always said, when he was dropping my students to, to, to sorry, my, my, my friends to school in his truck, you know, and he would pick them up and carry them home. And he said to one of the teachers, he said, look here, I don't, I, I'm not going to be around when my son needs me all the time. So if I can do this for this child, somebody else is going to do it for my child when I'm not able to do it. You understand? Yeah. And I thought that was really profound. The third thing that you left with us was teach us, see in us what we don't see sometimes. And a friend of mine on the live just put up, Lawman said, good teachers are great farmers, seed planted. So, Amina, you, you, are, you are really teaching today. And then you say, each of us comes with a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I remember you telling us that you had no idea, you had no interest, never thought about storytelling, but it found you. And, this, and the writer's story about you teaching the mango seeds, and I mean, God of mercy, I can't forget that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> the mango seeds on top of the buckle. And I'm it wasn't you. plastic bottles in those days. It was glass no. bottles. So tell me, Amina, <laughs> tell me now, 
we didn't get too much about into your relationship with your mother. You talk about your relationship with your father a lot, but we didn't speak a lot about your relationship with your mother. I want to ask you a question. Now that you are a woman, and now that you are a mother, do you understand your mother more? I, my mother, my mother died in 2009. But I began to understand my mother in me since maybe 1993. Today, by the way, is a very important day. It's the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Oh. So it's an important day to be talking about our mothers and the kinds of violence that they often encounter, economic, domestic, legal, political, I have a problem with the, with the formulation, though. I've always had a problem that it sounds as if once we eliminate violence against women, we can kill the puss and the dog and brutalize the picnic and beat up the man them. So I have a problem with the formulation as much as I understand why it is necessary. But I think we, we should be seeking to eliminate violence from our lives. They will chop down a tree for no reason at all, so we are going to build a house. Then we clear a whole heap of land. And then when we have built the house and these beautiful fruit trees sometimes have disappeared, then we call in somebody to landscape. That's violence of the worst and foolishest order. But to my mother, I have, uh, I'm checking myself to see if I still have them. I have had some habits which a long time ago in 1993, I recognized to be my mother. In 1993, I was still living in Antigua. And I have a habit of I don't go to bed if the last cup don't clean and the kitchen shine. And I don't leave my house if the bed don't make up like it's a hotel. And in that, I used to come home three times a year while I lived abroad. I came home for my father's birthday. I came for my mother's birthday. And I came home for Christmas. So that particular Christmas, I don't know what happened, but I came home maybe three or four days ahead of Christmas. So I was with my mother. Oh, my Lord. I looked at my mother and there I was. The kitchen have to clean. The floor have to shine. Your clothes have to look good. No, 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 no. <laughs> I made that. I saw me I'm going to grow old. And, <laughs> and in that moment, <laughs> and in that moment, I realized the power of my mother's influence on my being. I'm in my mother's house at the moment that my mother used to live in. And at some point in time, all the grandchildren were around her in this house. And my nephew, who now lives abroad, lives in North America, was living with my mother. And my mother have beautiful cherry trees, nice fruit trees in the yard. And as soon as I landed, she said, Vaughn, you know, see your auntie, go pick some cherry and make some cherry drink. And I would say, no, Miss Pearl, no, leave on, make him relax. But my mother was teaching my nephew a kind of hospitality of how to treat people. The cherry was the most precious thing she had at that time of the year. And she wanted to share it with 
me and she wanted my nephew to be part of the sharing and to pick the cherry and she would make the juice. At that time, I perhaps saw her as being too, too harsh on my nephew, but that is me. As soon as somebody landed in my house, me start say, me have this, me have that, or me not have it, me not have it. That's my mother. That is definitely my mother. And, and there are so many other ways in which I am my mother. It is, it is unbelievable. Sometimes I look in the mirror and it's my mother that I see looking back at me. Oh, a very important story about my mother. My mother was an amputee for a long time. And she didn't want anybody to don't help her. Do not help Miss Pearl. Miss Pearl take up her one foot and her two stick and my son who was months old at the time and she washed the clothes and she hung up the clothes upon the line. Miss Pearl in the hospital and the doctor said that she will come out in about six weeks time. And in about six days time, Miss Pearl started to hop around the hospital and she overheard the doctor say, if she continues like this, she will be able to go home in less than six weeks. She only overhear. Miss Pearl start walk up and down upon her one foot. And one day we went to visit my mother and she wasn't in the hospital because the yes. doctor said she could go home and she not waiting for us to come for her. She take up her one foot on her grip and she call a taxi and she reach home me. before we Yes, she's not waiting. So here is how my son now, my son now as a teenager is seeing my mother in me. I'm in Antigua and, 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 and I broke a leg. I think it was my driving leg. Whichever leg, the leg they broke. I mean, I want nobody help me. May I hop all over the place. And one day I'm, and, and we call my mother, Miss Pearl. And one day I'm hopping to the car. No, it wasn't my, it it was my left leg. It was an automatic car, so I could still use my right leg to drive. And one mm -hmm. day I'm hopping to the car, and my teenage son, almost 15 years old, rushed ahead of me to open the car door to make it easier for me to get in. Philip, I don't know what I said, but I heard my 15-year-old laugh and shake him head and say, Yes, Miss Pearl. That leads me to another question I have. Uh, your son, your relationship with your son, uh, you always talk about your son. You always talk about your relationship with your son. And I had the privilege of meeting, uh, was it Neto? Is his name? Neto? Or yes, yes. yes right. Neto. I had the privilege of meeting him. Brilliant mind, you know, brilliant young man. Uh, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned since he came into this world, that he has taught you? One, one, one Christmas, because we do all kind of Christmas games, we play Kris Kringle, you know Kris Kringle? You write, up, um, you write up little notes to your Kris Kringle every day and leave it for the 12 days of Christmas, yes. But they mustn't know says you. But we know says we so, because it's so, where alone live. 
So, so he might write like a note. Who is a Chris Kringle? Kringle is a European kind of. Um, you know how you have a pixel. Are you with me? In in some offices we have a pixie, and you pick somebody's oh. name out of a right. It's a same right. thing. So we would be each other's pixie or Chris Kringle, and a wee oh. one, but we still are right to one another. Like say, forty other people are around, and one day my son during that Christmas period said to me, "Mommy, he was about sixteen at the time." What would you say has been your greatest accomplishment? I knew, but I didn't answer. And on Christmas Day, I wrote him a note to say, you are. And I think there is no greater accomplishment than your child. If what you want to see in the world, you cannot see in the child you are raising, it's not possible. And I don't mean to say you're raising a perfect child. If you want to see a world with compassion and you cannot teach your child to be compassionate, then what you're speaking is not possible. And my child is very compassionate. My child is so compassionate that sometimes it hurts me. So, um, so you probably know that some years ago he had a stroke. And his friends would come around. And everybody going, oh, this is great, because him a listening friend, I listen, me no know. And him have one friend that just selfish and all to himself alone. And, and one day I said to him, Neto, how? How is it possible that this person is your friend? Now with his stroke, he's, he struggles for word. And he said, mommy, I know everything about, and he named the person. I know everything about him. And then he beat his chest and he said, but he's my brother. Mm. How awesome is that? How mm. awesome is that? That you can see all the faults in your friend, but you love him still because he is your brother. Mm. So if we can't see what we want in the world, in our children, it is not possible. Are they mm. going to be perfect? No. But if we can't see compassion and fairness and good judgment and a concern about political development, when my son was 11, he challenged me on my position on Palestine. <laughs> and well, I'm not surprised. Like, I'm not surprised. I say to myself, Amina, you're an idiot. You take an 11-year-old from Palestine. <laughs> Are you crazy? You're mad. But to be concerned about what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, well, you know his name is Neto Maceo. I, I, I was a great admirer of Agostino Neto during the time of the Angolan War for Independence. And that's why he's called Neto. On the day he was born, Angola by that time had won their independence. And Agostino Neto was in Cuba and they were signing a pact of friendship. And, and both newspa morning newspapers had the same headlines, Neto arrives. So he was named Neto for Agostino and Maceo 
for the Cuban general of independence um, in the Spanish War, who mm -hmm. also found Tucker in Jamaica. So that's why he's called Agostino Neto. And since he was little, he knew that Agostino Neto was a revolutionary poet. Um, and, and, and what that meant for people who were disenfranchised. So he has also grown up not, being, not having a separate world from the world of people who suffer and who are disenfranchised. I mean, up to today, we were having a discussion about every child needs to have uh, um, a device on which to work. And he was expressing the, the, the stupidity. And I hope my friends in the Ministry of Education will understand what I mean. The stupidity of knowing that 400,000 students don't have access to a device, can't get online, mm -hmm. but you're sending out letters to say you can own your own device if you apply online for one. <laughs> First of all, I don't know that the facility is available because I'm not online to see it. Are you telling me? And, 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 and here is my son who is functioning at a different level than you and I, who's saying, what is going on? So yeah, so he's my greatest accomplishment and we have that kind of a relationship. When he was coming out of his stroke and was learning to speak again, the queen had her 75th anniversary on the throne. 75th? And I, and I was enthralled. And so uh, we're traveling one morning, taking my grandson to school, and he's on the back seat of the car. And I'm saying to my son, Neto, this woman is awesome. 75 years. She never gave an interview. She's never been heard to be in a scandal. And I'm listing out all the good things. And he's not responding. And I'm saying, and no, my and so my grandson says, Daddy, do you understand what grandma is saying? And he went, Yeah, but it doesn't matter to me one way or another. I mean, lick him, me say, it matter, it matter. She makes you talk a whole sentence. <laughs> it matter. <laughs> You know, the little, the little things, the little things, the little things, uh, the, the little things, the beauty of the little things. Yeah, yeah. Love, yeah. Amina. Love. Have you ever been in love? I've loved deeply, but I don't know if I've been in love like that. Because to be in love means that you fall out of love. And well, I don't know. So listen, I ask me, I ask me, I try to learn. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know if, if that attachment to a person that we call love is what I've been in. I've grown to believe that we don't just have one soulmate that we can have several soulmates in a lifetime. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on the people, hold on, hold on, whoops, 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 we have to pause for now, why? Because 
That one did need some amount of explanation. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, my friends on IG, we are talking to the great Dr. Amina Blackwood Meeks. You remember that lady that told you that was instrumental in declaring National Storytelling Day and Jamaica Day, okay? This is the lady we're talking about right in front of us. And she make a statement a while ago. No, sir, that tell you something, you know. CVM and, 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 and TVJ and Vina, Observer and Guardian and New York Times need to come. Hear this. 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 Come again, Amina. Say I believe you can have several soulmates in a lifetime. Because I believe that as you evolve, your soul evolves with you. And the mate that served you at a different, at a lower level can no longer serve you at the higher level. Now, some people are fortunate to have their mates evolve with them. And therefore, they have one soulmate for all them life. But if you are evolving or the other person is evolving and you now move, then you can't be my soul mate because you are not serving the, the, the beauty and the full expression of my soul. And we have to well, part with well, The soul mate has to be your partner. Because I can I have a soul connection with you, you know. But we don't necessarily have decided to be partners. I accept that. I never thought of it like that, but, but I, I completely accept that. Because as you say that, I'm thinking of friends who have been. And the soulmate, if, if, if what you're saying is correct, and if I am agreeing with you, the soulmate doesn't have to be of the same gender. I that is true. That I, that is I've true. had my, my entire life. And I've had friends that there has never been an unpleasant word spoken between us. That's awesome. That's that's absolutely awesome. We never have to say, make you do this, make you... I've had friends that we've never had that. Absolutely never had that. I've had friends that, okay, so I don't eat meat. Yeah. Um, and I've had friends yeah. that I can say, I can turn up at them gate and say, you finish cook your Sunday dinner and I do it all the time. And them say, no. And I say, well, see my two fish here, cook it for me. <laughs> Me not bring it cooking up. Me my two fish, and two veggie middle, cook it for me. Yeah, and then we'll cook it. Yes, and because my two veggie middle easier for cook, then it cook right. first. And then it rises and feed them dinner. No, don't cook. <laughs> no, don't cook yet. So I suppose, I think in a way, therefore, um, those are soulmates and they serve a different part of my soul and I serve a different part of their soul. So yes, your soulmate doesn't have to be your partner, but very often your soulmate is also your partner in that sense. How do you navigate yourself through life when that is a lingering fact? 
how do you be now attach or not attach yourself to people people when you know that well you say that our soul mate we would have more than one soul mate in our lifetime as we evolve um it's a constant navigation mm. and i catch myself all the time and when i catch myself i share myself so i will give you a recent incident in which i discovered that i was wrong about somebody me can't name the person but i want person me think say chromogen and maybe she me think say she no always speak the truth and maybe she doesn't me think say she mislead me and maybe she does but i was scrolling through my emails trying to find um whatever i was trying to find and i came upon an email of 2011 which i perhaps saw at that time but because i was in a trauma it didn't register it registered 2 weeks ago this person was and is in my academic circle and the day my son had his stroke i i i i go into action in a crisis so i went into action this must be done no 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 i'm acting i'm acting i'm acting so i was completely unaware that she had sent out an email to everybody in the academic circle to say amina's son has had this stroke and she needs everybody to rally around her cuz i never ask her to send it out yeah. and i must see it i must have seen it in 2011 but it didn't register so all the things i just tell you say me things that she's this that and tara me had to put them aside to say okay this supersedes everything and it does because in the african cosmology we're taught never point at your origins with your left hand so so point at your origins with your left hand what does that mean yeah okay so muslims use their left hands to do to cleanse themselves especially after them use the bathroom that's why they eat with them right hand and do other things with them right hand and the left hand don't perform sacred duties so if you're pointing at your origins with your left hand then you are pouring scorn and disdain and so where you come from is where you come from and it must always be treated in a sacred way and so whatever this person might have done that would have led me to these negative conclusions then what she did in 2011 deserves always to have my right hand and um and i didn't say it to her but i said it to someone else why did i say it to someone else because i had said to that someone else make you stand up for the because of a b and c and then i had to go back to say i was wrong I was wrong because nobody who did this without my knowledge can be all of the things that I know make up in my own head. Yeah. Me make it up. 
something happening with concocted drama. And so I navigate very often by apologizing to myself and, some, and, and by apologizing on behalf of people. I have not yet learned to go to someone to say I was wrong about you because I know that sometimes when you do that, you wake up a wound that you don't have to wake up. In other words, as a storyteller, I have learned that some stories need not be told. And so, oh, but I do that all the time. I do that all the time. All the time. I, I navigate myself and I can tell myself when I've been wrong and it powers me to behave differently in whatever situation to whomever. Mm -hmm. and, and that didn't happen overnight. Maybe I learned that from both my parents, and maybe I've always done yeah. it unconsciously, but now I do it consciously. And, and when you say when you know better, you should do better. Absolutely, absolutely. You do the best you can until you know better, and then you do better. Right, right. You know, when you that's talk what, about... Sorry, that's what Maya Angelou, that's not original. It's what Maya Angelou said. You do the best you can until you know better, and then you do better. So you're always you better yourself. Yes. In my in my opening in my in my opening to the show tonight, I usually hi Tarina, I, I usually start off with a lesson I learned from theater. So tonight, I reminded my audience of the quote. You are as good as your last performance. And I, I learned that the first person, the person who actually said that quote, I actually heard it from Professor Resident for the first time. That's who I heard it from. But I recognize that this, the quote was from Marie Dressler, an American actor, who actually said that. And then I did some research and it says, you know, you are as good as your word. It means your your word is what actually makes you eligible, uh, honorable, uh, the last word that you said. You know, so, so, so when we, when we, I was just talking about evolving and growing and understanding more and doing what we know is right. My word, the last time, may not be as good as the word that I'm now going to say because I've learned more from Amina. You understand? So, do we judge people based on the last word or performance? Um, that's a difficult one because in every scripture, that in every scripture, we are taught to exercise judgment. Every scripture, no, hold on. Every scripture, meaning the Bible, the, the, the whatever, the long word that the, the Hindus use, yeah. the Quran, yeah. every scripture requires us to use our judgment. That's different from condemning. Using your judgment is not the same as condemning someone. Thank you. And Thank you requires us to use our judgment when let's go to the bible when the bible say 
um, and give your free will. That means you are to make a decision as to whether you want to live a righteous way and go to heaven or live an unrighteous way and go to hell. You're using your judgment. When you're going cook and them ask you how much sugar you use and salt, you say, me not know, me use my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you're, so. <laughs> but you're using your judgment for the best possible outcome. Now, if the last word somebody says to you is one that is deceptive, is one that is designed to con you, to paint you or somebody else in a wrong way. That's the last word they said to you last night. And you know that this morning, but you act upon it tomorrow. You have not exercised good judgment. You have not, ex and therefore you have failed in your social responsibility. If you teach in a high school, and I'm, uh, I'm going on school um, memory now of our chemistry teacher, Mrs. Milner. Mrs. Milner was a whiz. One day, Mrs. Milner come to the class, you see, with either 30 or 31, a list of either 30 or 31 things. And she said, these I do not want to hear about your homework. The ink dash upon it, the dog bite it, the cat mess upon it. No, 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 no. And she made a list of all the excuses we had given her as to why we never want, never hand in the homework. She was exercising judgment. That she knows that these little 13 year old children are tricanal. And the first time she breeze blows where she did believe. Then she find out says a lie. So that was the last word. You can't tell me again, say, breeze, blow it away. Then one next one come and say, the cat gone with it. And she believed because she did love cat, whatever. And then she find out, says a lie. And she exercised the judgment, said, that the last word. Me now believe again. And because she judged us on the last word that we had misled her by, she prevented herself from being misled by us again, but she also powered us to do the homework. Yeah, yeah. To do the homework. Yeah, yeah. So the last word we hear is important. Very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Very Absolutely. important. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is always important too, and I also said it, I also said this in addition to the statement in, in my opening statement. I said even though that was your last word or your last performance, try to outrun or improve yourself so much that the next time you give your word, the next time you do a performance, it is better than your last performance. So you're doing it not to impress people, but prove to yourself so you're bettering yourself each time and so you and will always yes, go ahead that's a two-way street because yeah. you're bettering yourself but the person who is doing the judgment is also bettering themselves to be open about that which they are making a judgment on when i lived in antique 
um, Tina Jorgensen, a, 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 a psychiatrist or a psychologist, men I know, uh, I never can tell the difference. Uh, but she was, and she would not forgive me for not knowing what she was. Uh, we used to have wonderful conversations. And one day I was having a conversation with her and I said, such and such a person has done such and such a thing and that's unforgivable. And she looked at me lovingly and she said, is there any such thing? Is there anything which is unforgivable? That's deep. And I've carried that all my life. So as much as I make a judgment, I'm not saying that what I'm judging you on is something you can't be forgiven for. So it's two ways. Because if we can live up to somebody's expectation, we can also live down to somebody's expectation. So you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. You're not, turn out to nothing. You're what turn out to be the worst thing. And I believe that I am going to be the worst thing. But if you say to me, you know, you can do better, let's, let's try it this way. And so I don't know if you know that my training as a teacher is in early childhood education. And there are some things, yeah, yeah. And there are some things we learn about motivating children. So for example, when you're serving them their lunch. Pardon me? Positive reinforcement. Yes, you're serving a child their lunch and you hand them the glass of milk. Do not say, don't spill the milk. You say to them, take it with both hands. Can you feel the difference in the energy? Yeah, yeah. Take yeah. it with both hands. It's different from, don't spill the milk. Don't spill the milk. You are setting me up to be nervous about doing something wrong. Take it with both hands is empowering me to be resourceful, to treat it well. And so when I say we can live up or live down to people's expectations, something to live down to is don't spill the milk. Something to live up to is take it with both hands. And we can do that every day. Whatever the equivalent of either of those things is, we can do that every day. You know, I mean, uh, I believe that we are in so many areas of our life. We are in need of healing. You know, the words you just spoke about, that's the only thing that came to mind. Healing. Instead of saying, do not spill. Just like the Ten Commandments. Do not, 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 do not. You tell them to take it with both hands. As you say, it's a different energy man again. And I do recognize from being a teacher myself, the way how you speak to a, 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 a child has a lot to do with the, the ways that go through his head and in his mind and in his heart and how he interprets what, he, what, he, what you say and what he does back or she back to you. And I'm saying... That's healing, you know. That's if we say the right words, if we say we do the right thing, we get back a certain energy. How does storytelling, you know, how does storytelling, what's the role that storytelling plays in the healing of the land? It's, it's very powerful. 
Um, I wrote my thesis on storytelling because what else could I write it on? And in, in, in my study, I analyzed a, a range of Caribbean, West African, South African stories because I did some of my research in South Africa. And one of the things that quickly struck me was that the Millennium Development Goals and now the Sustainable Development Goals and all the platforms of Vision 2030 are there in our stories. Take care of the environment. Respect your culture. Listen to your elders. How much time and Nancy have a problem and him consult the elders as to how to solve it? How much time and Nancy and him wife do things together? How much time and Nancy and him wife and him children do things together? How much time Anansi demonstrate that he was loving and loyal when the Supreme God said, Anansi, I want you to take wisdom down to earth. He said, I can't go alone. Please, can I take my wife? And the Supreme God said, yes. And Anansi got to his wife and said, the Supreme God said, I must carry wisdom down to earth and you can come with me. And she said, and what will happen to the children? So we don't hear those stories often enough. So all of those elements, so much time I Nancy down by the river, I do something. What am I do by the river? So, you know, I'm a plant food. So those elements are in the stories. Only yesterday, we were discussing the value of storytelling that, that, that is now being revealed again, anew for the first time again, because of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. That what do stories do? Stories cause you to remember. I was telling someone that back in the day, we used to get Christmas cards. And you never throw away the Christmas cards. You put them up. And next year, you put a long string from one corner of the house till the next one. And you throw the Christmas card over them. So yeah. the Christmas card... <laughs> I know that. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a black country. That's a black country a lot. Right. So the Christmas card themselves now is part of your Christmas decoration. Yeah. But the Christmas card is a memory of all the people who have remembered to send you a Christmas card 50 years ago to the present. Those stories unlock memories. And you can't unlock a memory without acting upon it. And that's the power of stories. You tell a story, it unlocks a memory. So when parents are at home now, not knowing what to do, and they say to a child, hella tab, hella bottom, hallelujah, and at the middle, and the child say, what is that? And them say, make a show you. And, 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 and them show you. And them realize that the pudding have a different flavor and so on, and so, make a show you, because the story unlocks memories, and there is a song coming to my head now, and the memories bring back memories, bring back you. Bring back you. That's Maroon 5. That was done by Maroon 5. That's the one. That's the one. Yes. Memories bring back you. Yes. Memories can only bring back you, and that's what stories do. Uh, my grandson, who recently turned 13, when we sit down to tell stories, he has a way of saying, Grandma, Grandma, you know this one? And him tell me a story. And I say, you know, say, 
is your grandmother, mother, tell you that story, then you think, say, your grandmother, mother, never tell your grandmother the story before she tell you. And then you walk into some memory now about Miss Pearl and what she used to do. Because the memories really bring back you. Bring back you. Yeah. Amina, it was a very warm evening. This is evening. We go down a riverside and we come inside and we make a fire and we just had out drink some soup and we just have some wonderful time. Amina, before you go, and to my guests, to my to my friends on Instagram, she said, uh, "Oh, I see shades of gray." Said that's powerful. Amina, man, yes, yes, Amina. Amina, I sent out some powerful vibrations. There are a lot of young people listening to you right now. What is that one thing, or what is one? Thing? would say to a young person right now who is trying to navigate their, themselves in this crazy world, what would you say to them? I would encourage them to know that the world has always been changed by young people. Let me finish the sentence. Young people have always been the innovators, but young people have never accomplished anything outside of the company of older people. Miss Luana. Hold on, hold on, hold on, rewind, hold on, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, I'm big enough. Record that one here. Hear this. No, oh God, oh God. Me can't, me can't contain myself. Amina, please say that again. Say that again. Young people have always been the innovators their enthusiasm, their what if, their inquiring mind has what has changed the world since the beginning of time. But no young person has ever changed the world or made any significant contribution outside of the mentorship and the relationship with older people. And I started to say, Miss Luana Armada, Marcos Gavian and father, Farrakhan and his parents, Malcolm X and his parents, Barack Obama and his mother and his father, you can name them, you can name them, Nelson Mandela and him, you can name them, you can name them if you want to become something in life and if you want to realize your dreams, then we have to blend enthusiasm with wisdom. It's like, it's like a horse and carriage, you can't have one without the other. Ah, oh, that that really that moment that touched that touched my heart because I I as you know you and I interact with young people every day. That's our life, and I have been a mentor of young people for a long time. And when I see young people, especially entertainers, coming up into the entertainment industry and not looking to the elders, not respecting what has gone on before them, not acknowledging 
the foundation that they have set for them so that they can rise on, rise up on the, on the, on the, on the shoulders of kings. I say to myself, we are in a bad way because we don't understand. A very bad way. A very bad so way. Yes, yes, a very bad way. And we know it's bad when a, a young person says, me are the foundation. And the next one says, me are the foundation. And you realize that the house is not built. Can everybody come and turn foundation and the wall is not go up. <laughs> so the house now going to further. So we have to recognize that the foundation is there and you contribute to it. So, um, so having said that, I want to acknowledge a wonderful group of young men who are becoming older men now who always acknowledge their parents. Kabaka Pyramid. Chronics, the whole of that zinc fence screw, it is almost impossible. Yeah, it's almost impossible to hear them talk without saying, Me and my father, or me and my mother. Yeah, and that's wonderful. So I've wonderful. Every time. I've yeah. Um, Shades of Grey said, I wish I was here from the start. This was so good. Amina needs to come back, Philip. Look here, Amina, come back for the second time. This is a rewind. I want to know. Amina, this is the dog. Una for the pay. Una for the pay. Amina, if you come back now. No, no, it's not, it's not working. This is not working out. Okay? So you can see that, but you. You need to come from the beginning. When I have the life and I have a beautiful, resourceful, national treasure on my life in the form who of... Instagram, who learned to use Instagram? <laughs> who, who learned to use Instagram? Can you imagine? She is, she is learning from the innovators and she are innovators at the same time too. Come on. Hello? Amina. Amina. You were great tonight. You were fabulous tonight. And I am indebted to you, as I said last week. I'm indebted to you. We are all indebted to you. And that quote that you made a while ago, memory, storytelling unlocks memory. Storytelling unlocks memory. And she reminded us, Dr. Amina reminded us of Maroon 5's song. You see, she's up to date. And the memories bring back, memories bring back you. You. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends on Instagram, it was good. Lovely tonight. I so, so thank you for joining us with my esteemed guest, Dr. Amina Blackwood Meeks. Amina, walk good, and I love you so much. Bless you, my friend. Bless you, Philip. You know I love and admire you. Bless you, and all the very best. All right. Have a wonderful night. You too. Thank you. And blessings to your guests. All right, my people. See you next week. This time is o'clock. Okay. I'll have another very interesting guest. All right. Later.